You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. All right, so I hope most of you have been uh, enjoying some some time with the family, uh, maybe getting in some vacation time, trying to power through these, these summer months. I got uh, to spend a week on the beach, which is always nice. You sit there and, and, and do nothing. And many of you have also uh, been on the beach as, as well. I can tell by your pictures of the, the ocean and the sand. And for whatever reason, they include your feet as, as well. So it's the ocean, it's sand, it's beautiful. And then there's your feet. I guess that's to prove that you're actually at uh, the beach. I'm, uh, I'm not sure, but it looks uh, relaxing. Uh, I've also been watching a, a few D-backs games. I, I have three uh, awesome boys, and, and they love sports, uh, and they love the D-backs, so we'll sit and we'll watch games. We've also been watching a little bit of the World Cup soccer uh, tournament. Yeah, we confession, all right? We were back there this morning watching the, the, the final at, uh, at 7 a.m., so that's how I was preparing for this uh, sermon on on boldness and, and confidence watching the, the World Cup. But it, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking, what if you're an athlete and you knew before you were approaching a game that you were going to win? You're, you're walking down the tunnel out to the field and, and Jesus, he's just standing right there and he says, hey, psst, hey, you're going to win four to three. What? Really? Don't doubt me. Don't, don't doubt me. You're going to win four to three. How would you approach that game? And, and, and I started thinking, like, because there are several different ways uh, that you can approach this game. Maybe you would go all out. You would just hustle. You would give everything that you had because you wouldn't care if you messed up. Or maybe you just would go into a state of apathy. Like, well, we're going to win, so I really don't even care. You just grab your, your lawn chair uh, you're an umbrella drink, and, and you sit out there, and you're just kind of like, hey, we're going to win anyway. I'm just going to relax during this game. Well, well, for me, I would go all out, and, and my game is, is baseball. I would be diving after every ball. I would be taking these huge monster swings trying to hit home runs because no matter what I did, no matter if I messed up, we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game. So how would you approach that game? How would you approach it? Or what if it was a, an entire season? God pulls you aside. He's like, hey, you're going to win the World Series. It's the start of the season. You're going to win the World Series. It's going to be tough. You're going to win some games. You're going to lose some games. But you're going to be a champion at the end. Or the start of the World Cup soccer tournament. God's like, yeah, you're, you're going to win. You're going to win. Man, I, I would be in high spirits and I would go all out because I would have this confidence that no matter what I did, we're going to win. And I would also have this inward focus of my approach. I would also have an outward focus. I'd be looking at my teammates. If one of my teammates messed up or they fell or they stumbled, man, I'd run over. I'd pick them up like, man, it's all right. Keep going. We're going to win. They kind of look at you funny. I'd also be in conversation with, with the other team, just joking around, uh, loving on them, having a good time. Because I knew we were going to win. If the umpire made a bad call, I would yell at him and I would scold him. And I would, I would, no, 
No, I would just move on because I know that a bad call would not impact the outcome of the game. I knew I was going to win. Are we not victorious in Jesus Christ? Amen, Amen right? Does, does he not defeat the enemy? God, God gives us this story. He gives us the beginning. He also gives us the ending. We know the ending. We know that we are champions. We know that we are victorious. The last couple of weeks uh, with Pastor Josh and Pastor Rick, you've been counting the cost. What does it cost to follow Jesus? Hopefully you're done counting by now. If not, let's, let's talk afterwards. But you should be done counting. And it's, it's a yes or it's a no. If it costs too much, if it's too tough to follow Jesus, then don't follow him. But stop saying yes. And then when Jesus says, okay, and he starts to lead, you close the door right behind him and you sneak away and you still go on the same path that you've been on your entire life. And he opens the door. He's like, hey, you, you coming? Yeah, Jesus, man, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm, I'm, I'm right behind you. Yeah, no, go ahead, General. You can walk. You can go. You close the door. You stay on the same path because it costs a lot to follow Jesus. See, if it's a true yes, if you've counted that cost and you're like, Jesus, I surrender everything. I am going to follow you no matter what. Then it is time to be bold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that your word and truth is spoken today. Father, that a foundation is laid, that a courage and a, and a fire is sparked this morning. God, we have counted the cost. Are we ready to be bold? We lift this up in Jesus' name, amen. So where does boldness come from? Boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. And John and Peter displayed a boldness, and we see this in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Let's read them. So Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching uh, and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I want to pause right there for, for a moment. Rulers and elders of the people. So up until now, what Peter and John have been doing has granted them an opportunity to be before several people and not just any people. These are the, the leaders and the rulers and the elders and the priests of Jerusalem, 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 excuse me. So it's quite the audience. 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, and this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. An old fellow. <laughs> An old, I'm nowhere near 40, okay? Man, this passage here is driven by the Holy Spirit. It's all Holy Spirit. What caught my attention is that part where they said, unschooled, ordinary men. So the author here, I think, is being kind because as they are speaking, they're, they're speaking well, and all the leaders and elders are, are, are listening to them. They're like, wow, they, they speak well. So to find out that they were unschooled, ordinary men, some of those leaders and elders had to, had to know Peter and John, maybe grew up with them, and they start whispering like, hey, that's, that's little Johnny. Like, I, I grew up with him. He dropped out of school in, in second grade. Like, he's not smart at all. And that's, that, that's Pete. That's Pete. I know Pete. I grew up with him on, on, um, on Pine Avenue, and, and he didn't go to school either. Like, what? And, and they hear this, and like, what, these guys are uneducated? I'm sure they use different, different words. They became astonished. They didn't know what to do, so what did they do? They just made a little note. They had been with Jesus. That's all they could, that's all they could do. There's nothing that they could do to them. But yet they walked in there with such a boldness. They say they cannot stop, they cannot help but preach this message by what they've seen and what they've heard. We have heard and seen the same message. We, we have the Bible before us. We have the gospel right in, in front of us. And if we believe these words to be true, we should exude that same kind of boldness when we are presented with opportunities like Peter and John. There's, there's zero hesitation to be bold in our faith. Now, I know not all of us are, are going to, to speak or, or, or teach, but there's so many ways to be bold with your faith. 
No, no matter what that looks like, it should be, I cannot help, I cannot stop to be bold with my faith based on what I know. That's how we should approach these opportunities and these situations. Now, the, 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 the chapter continues on. Peter and John, they go back to their people and, and they just start to, to pray. And all the people that they were, were with were filled with the Holy Spirit after that prayer. The earth shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens next is after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they just started sharing and giving away all of their possessions. Everything just started chunking stuff in the middle. One guy went back and, and, and sold uh, his, his farm, his land, and just took the money and brought it to the, the apostles. And I know what you're thinking, so I'm thinking the same thing. I, I've taken the, the, the liberty, and, and the ushers and volunteers are putting for sale signs on your cars out in, in the parking lot. And we're going to use that money for, for a new projector. Hopefully all of your cars are worth more than 13000 so maybe we'll build a little uh, a pool out in the dirt lot. It, it's warm. It's humid, guys. I want to jump in. All right? So there's for sale signs on your car. But, but they couldn't help it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, so they just started giving away and sharing everything. And then God began to give those people more, and they began to share more. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so who is the Holy Spirit? For Christian denominations, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've heard that before. The Holy Spirit is, is fully, God, fully God. He's not partially God. He is fully God. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Lord, the giver of life, and the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is a document that is shared by, by Christian believers that outlines uh, the, the beliefs that we all share together. Referred to as the Lord, the giver of life. The Bible documents that the Spirit was there in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Bible also details a close relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit during his earthly ministry in Luke 3.22, which says... And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So the Holy Spirit was with Jesus during his entire ministry. They had that relationship. So that's who the Holy Spirit, now, and we know that the Spirit was, was with Jesus. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? As Jesus was about to depart from this world, he said something interesting. He says in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's interesting. So, so Jesus himself who is fully God, says it is to your advantage and, and my advantage that, that I go away, that, that I leave, because something much better, I will send you. I will send you the Holy Spirit. 
and all of you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I have to go away. That's to your benefit. That's to my benefit. He had also said in John 14, 12 through 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So he's saying here again that, that he is going to the Father. He, he is leaving. And he preludes that when he leaves, the Spirit is, is coming. And not only when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will empower you to do greater things than Jesus. How, how is that even the case? As we look at the ministry of Jesus and all the things that, that he did, and the 12 disciples that, that followed him and, and struggled with, with doubt and, and fear and unbelief, Jesus says, when I go back to the Father, the Spirit will come and you will do even better things than I did, even greater things. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> you, you've got to just be blowing smoke. Like, you're, you're just trying to make us feel better, right? Because we've been hanging out with you for, for three years and, and you're leaving. We're going to miss you. You're just kind of coddling us, right? You're just kind of giving us a little uh, a bottle of milk and just saying, hey, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to send you a helper and, and, and you're going to be fine. That's what we're thinking, right? There's no way Jesus meant those words. Did he mean those words? Absolutely. Absolutely. He meant every single word. And it's that, that Holy Spirit that gives us a power and authority to do those greater things than, than Jesus did. So, so why is it, why is it that we treat the Holy Spirit less than? We, we treat the Holy Spirit less than God, less than, than Jesus. You know, he's ranked third. He's third in the Trinity. So we, we treat him less than, but he's equal. He is fully God. We kind of push him to the side. It's like this. Many, many of you will be going to, to lunch today, and many of you are going to choose the ever-so-fantastic Olive Garden in, in Queen Creek. It's, it's delicious. We, we love it, okay? The waiter will come to you, and he will ask you what you want. He will take, you, take your order, and he will get you everything that you need, everything that you ask for. So when he comes back to the table and, and he lays out all of the food, he leaves. He departs from you. And, and when he departs, there's a little helper behind him. And this helper has cheese. <laughs> and, and, and she's standing there and she asks you, would you like cheese on your entree? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I would. But that's not it. She then empowers you. She gives you power and authority because her next statement is, you tell me when to stop. 
and say when. And I, I, I start crying. I, I squeeze my wife Lindsay's hand. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm squirming in the booth. And, and I start thinking, I'm like, never, don't ever stop. Just, just pour a mountain on my ravioli. And then, and then can you pour some on my head? Can you just pour some on my head? Let's, here, let's put some in, in my pocket. Can I take you home with me? And you can just put it all over my pool and I'm just going to swim in it. Those thoughts last about four seconds. And then I say, stop. Sorry, stop. Even though I don't want her to, I tell her to stop. And she stops. And I'm sad. And I'm angry. And I want more. That's how we treat the Holy Spirit. That's how we treat the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying, I want to give you this power and authority. You tell me when. Stop. That's what we do. That's what we do. We say stop immediately. He, he wants to guide and help us in big ways, but we, we, we put our hand up and we say stop. And the reason we're stay, saying stop is because it costs a lot to allow the Holy Spirit to, to guide you and to walk with that power and authority. It costs a lot. It costs a lot. Pastor Nathan, last year, he, he used the analogy with the Holy Spirit, like God is giving you the keys to a Porsche. He's like, here, here you go, free of charge. Here are the keys to a, to a brand new Porsche. And we say yes, and we say thank you. Yes and thank you. We hold out our hand. God puts the keys right in our hand, and we, we feel it. Like, oh my gosh, I am the owner of a brand new, new Porsche. No thanks. And we, we chunk we chunk the keys, and we get back into our old reliable, right? Because it's comfortable, it feels good, we've got all the buttons in the spot that, that, that we want it, we know what to do, and it's going to get us to our destination. That's what we do with the Holy Spirit. It is the power of, 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 a, of a Porsche. It's as much cheese as you want. You never have to say, Stop but we're afraid to get behind that wheel and we're afraid to accept that power. Peter and John and the other disciples, they, they knew that power. They accepted that power. Therefore, they could not stop with what they were doing. And their mission was to share this gospel, this Messiah that, 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 that came, sacrificed his body, died on the cross, shed his blood for us, and then went to be with his father and now the helper, the Holy Spirit, is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Peter and John recognize what the Holy Spirit can do. Here's what the Holy Spirit can do. The Holy Spirit releases the kingdom into impossible situations. The Holy Spirit releases the kingdom into impossible situations. 
But, but what we do is we want the spirit to go into that situation, but it's us. We have to go into that situation with the spirit. Filled by the spirit. It's us. We have to go into that situation. And you have to go into it with a bold faith. Peter and John's boldness is extraordinary. Yet they were ordinary men according to those rulers and, and elders. So you, you might be thinking that, that you know, ah, I'm, just, I'm just ordinary. I, I don't know enough of, of the Bible. We, we, we asked for uh, volunteers for, for Kids Life, and I used to be over uh, Kids Life, and really the number one reason I got for lack of volunteers when talking to people is I, I, I can't teach kids in, in Sunday school. I don't know enough of, of the Bible. I, I, I can't do it. What you're saying is, is you're, you're just ordinary. You're, you're unschooled and that you can't do it. You can't do it because you're not filled with, with, with the Spirit. You don't have a heart for the next generation of, of kids to be raised up sharing the message. Because I guarantee you, our, our, our kids that are here today, what they're being told Monday through Saturday isn't the gospel. It's not the gospel. So we, we should be fighting to get into that room to teach these kids who Jesus is, the reality of Jesus, and that he saves. We should be fighting to get into that room. It's not about not knowing enough of the Bible or being unschooled or ordinary. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just kids' life. That's a boldness I'm talking about right there. It takes a boldness to, to, to serve in, in, in kids' life. It's not easy. You're going to get hit with a car in the head while you're, while you're teaching. That's going to happen. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Peter and John, you, you can't help but stop. You cannot stop. You're, you'll keep going. That's just, that's just one area that requires a boldness and faith. But this bold faith that you have, it must include a quiet trust. Bold faith requires a quiet trust. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is being released into impossible situations, and impossible situations are sometimes the most chaotic, the loudest, the, the, no, the noisiest, the most difficult. So you have to approach it filled with the Spirit, a bold faith, and a quiet trust. You have to quietly trust that God is with you, and that the presence of the Spirit is with you. Psalm 23, right? Psalm 23, you guys have heard this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Sometimes when the situation is the darkest, when the shadow is looming closest to you and it's the darkest hour, God is the closest to you. And that's where a bold faith is going to lead you. It's going to lead you into the valley of the shadow of death. Not death, the shadow. It'll be so ever-present in your life. It'll look 
completely dark, but if you have that quiet trust that God is with you, nothing will stop you. Gideon was fearful to, to, to go to war. And what did God do? God sent him. He said, go into the enemy's camp. He's like, no, 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 no. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of the, the enemy, God. God's like, no, just, just go into the camp. He goes into the camp and he hears men over-talking that, that, that Gideon is going to uh, overtake them. That's all Gideon needed to hear. But that was the darkest spot for, for Gideon. He was in the enemy's camp to hear and see what he needed to hear. Your bold faith is going to take a quiet trust. But we often run from those situations. When it's the darkest, God is the closest, but we run. We run from those situations. I was listening to a Billy Graham sermon on spirit-filled Christians. Uh, so this was a, a time ago, and he was talking about a boldness in faith on display. And, and he, he and his team were in uh, Maracaibo, Venezuela. So Maracaibo uh, then was a population 200,000 with 10,000 Americans living there working the oil fields. So America had a presence there. Now, during this hour, when Billy Graham and his team were there, the U.S. Embassy had been bombed, terrorists were killing police, demonstrations and protests were rampant, transportation was on strike, the list went on. But despite all that, his crusade there experienced larger crowds than ever. Received front page news and 11 radio stations covered this crusade so the entire country, not just Maracaibo, could hear Billy Graham speak. Even though Graham and his team's lives were at risk, he mentions that God strategically used this hour, an hour so dark that the shadow of death was closer than ever to advance his kingdom mightily. That's what Graham said. After they left Venezuela, they went to Colombia. So Venezuela, then Colombia. See, he couldn't stop. He went to Colombia where again they were met with opposition and they had to, to physically stand up against crime lords, the cartel, tyrants, corruption. They had to physically stand up against them just to reach the people of Colombia. And what he, when he got to the people and got to understand what it's like for Colombians to, to be Christians, he stated it cost something to be a Christian here in Colombia. It costs something economically, socially, and sometimes physically to be a Christian here in this country. But he said the, the Colombian Christians were so hungry because they had counted that cost and they had chosen to move forward with their faith they had chosen to move forward with their faith, and he goes on to say, unlike the soft Christianity in America and Northern Europe. Billy Graham said that. He said, here it costs nothing. It costs nothing. Nothing like 
it does in Venezuela or Colombia. See, we're, we're not hungry for God, but, but for other things. We're, we're hungry for, for TV. Guilty. Watching the World Cup this morning, I was hungry for that. We're, we're hungry for, for food. We're hungry for social media. We're hungry for politics. We're hungry for all of these things, and it leaves little room for God. It leaves little room for God. Because if there's anything outside our comfort, which is that cost that you and I have been counting, we choose not to and we choose to go back to comfort. Therefore, that's why a bold faith exists little here in America. And and we're suffering for it. This lack of boldness, we are suffering for it as the Christian community. See, the lack of boldness comes because we, we have pushed the Holy Spirit away. We have said that he's less than. We refuse to be obedient. We only want the Holy Spirit when it's convenient for us. And we're always just constantly wanting answers from God instead of just wanting his presence. That's why we don't experience and display a bold faith. See, if you want to have a bold faith like Peter and John, like Christians in Venezuela and Colombia, like Billy Graham and his team, you have to fully believe the words of Jesus when he says it's to your benefit that he left, that he died on the cross and left. It's to your benefit. And you have to believe him when he he said that the Holy Spirit will descend upon you and you will do greater things than he did. You have to understand who the Holy Spirit is, that he is fully God, that he is present here on earth. And we we have to stop treating him like he's a a, a redheaded stepchild. I know we have a lot of redheads in here and, and, and we love... Our, our, our redheads, we, we do, we do. That is our, our no soul nation club there. <laughs> but we have to stop treating him like that. We have to stop treating the Holy Spirit like a vending machine. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us up completely. That's what we have to do to have a bold faith. As we head into to communion, if, if you have counted the cost and you've actually been thinking and praying about what is the cost in, in, in your life and your answer is yes, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter the cost, then as we head into, into communion, I want you to reflect. I want you to spend time and evaluate and question what what is my relationship with the Holy Spirit like? See, the Holy Spirit had a close relationship with Jesus. So, so evaluate, evaluate that. What does your relationship with the Holy Spirit look like? Do you want to receive that power and authority that he so freely wants to give? And then it's from there that a bold faith will start to happen in, in, in your life. Could you imagine if there was a bold faith in all of our lives, the things that we would do? Communion is, is a time of, of 
of worship to, to reflect on the sacrifice that, that Jesus made. We have, we have six stations, three in the front and three in the back. And, and here in a moment, you can come up, you can grab the elements and you can head back to your seat. And that's where I want you to, to reflect. I want you to spend time reflecting on that relationship with, with the Holy Spirit. See, there is, there's no obligation to take communion, so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can definitely stay seated. But if you do, if you do have that relationship, take communion and, and, and reflect. Because it was that night that Jesus was betrayed that, that he took the bread and he broke it and, and he gave it to the disciples and he said, this, this is my body broken for you. And he did the same with the cup. He took the cup drank it. So this is poured out for me. This is my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Come forward, take the elements, and head back to your seat.